Well, greetings this morning in the name of Emmanuel, God with us. Been already richly uh, blessed and uh, inspired already this morning by our singing. And it's just really good for me, good for us to spend that time and worship and adore our Lord together. So many things we sang about, the love, the joy, the hope, the peace that he brings. Let's just pause a minute again and bow our heads and thank him. Lord, we're in all this morning for what you've done for us and uh, for the way you've revealed yourself to us. And we just want to pause again and thank you for your unspeakable gift. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I think the time of worship and reflection and praise to God is something I know I don't do enough of. There's something that does for us both in our personal lives and collectively as we worship Lord, together. Just laying all the things of life aside and meditating and focusing on him and what he's given us, what he is to us. So I've been blessed this morning, that time of singing. Again, I, uh, was first of all thinking this morning I'd like to of course preach on the incarnation the advent I guess the advent was a little bit a lot on my mind I guess what that all is and, you know advent just simply means the appearing the revelation that's what advent means and uh, as I got to studying and thinking I uh, I began to realize that the incarnation of Christ is just a piece of God's revelation to us. It's a big piece. But as you look down through history, and yet, even down the whole way to our day, the way God has revealed himself to his people in so many different ways. In the Old Testament, you know, the building up to the birth of Christ in the... uh, the coming of Christ, and we see all the many ways and symbols and and shadows and of preparing his people for uh, his coming. 
And what a great revelation. And then in the New Testament, like the Hebrew writer says, in the times past he spoke to us through his prophets, but now in these last days he's spoken unto us by his Son. So I've... uh, just want to go down through and just take notice of some of the ways that God has revealed himself first in the Old Testament and then of course what brings us to our season here is his his birth and his coming to us and then even beyond that and uh, how that he continues to reveal himself to his people and his desire for communion with his people. God's desire to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God with us. And we see through all this God's desire all the way through to restore again that relationship lost way back in Eden. And God always made the first move toward us in every way. In every way. He always moved toward us first. We see the heart of God. And then we, hopefully in response to that, turn our hearts to him. Just like to open with the a Gospel of John chapter 1. I could just take the time to read that. John chapter 1, powerful words of the Apostle John. I love this passage of scripture. There's so much in this short passage. So much profound truth. He takes us way back to the beginning. John chapter 1 verse 1. I think I'll read through verse. Probably verse 16. I'm sorry verse 14. I think I'll stop at verse 14. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 there, I think it's one of my favorites. It says, And the Word was made flesh 
And he dwelt among us. And even though we don't experience it like the Apostle John did, we still see it and the effects of it. And we behold his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see God's desire to reveal himself to man. To restore that broken relationship going way back to the creation with our first parents. You know, in the beginning, in the original, everything was right. God came down to man and man talked to God and the relationship was perfect, was beautiful. But we know what happened. Adam and Eve, they fell. They gave that dominion that God had given them that rightly belonged to God and they gave it over to the evil one. And that dominion that rightly belonged to God, was given over and robbed by the prince of this world now. And ever since that time, God has been making moves to draw his people and to gain back his dominion. As we look at how, how quickly the earth became corrupt and the effect of sin, the consequences of sin were, I'm sure, to a lot, a lot greater than Adam and Eve ever imagined. God had made this beautiful garden and he placed them there. He made this home for them. And his, de his desire was that they would go out and fill the earth and subdue it. I really think God wanted Adam and Eve to make an Eden out of the whole earth. He prepared the first one for them. But instead of that, we know what happened. They were actually driven out of the garden. They weren't allowed back in. Lest they eat of the tree of life. And we see how evil and how quickly the earth became wicked for God. That up to the time of Noah, it said God had even repented him that he made man. He looked down at the evil and the dominion of death, darkness, and it repented God that he made man. He regretted that he made man. But he found, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God always had someone that he could use all the way down through history, someone that was found faithful, someone that he could pour out his grace on. And he found Noah and his family and he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And thankful for that, all of us, they again are our, all of us go back to Noah and his wife and 
descendants of his three sons and their wives. So it seemed like God started over again. And he again, after Noah and his sons came out of the ark, he told, told them to fill the earth. Multiply. God's desire always was that his people would fill the earth and subdue it. And you know, I thought of the rainbow when Noah stepped out of the ark. You know, talking about again about how God desires to reveal himself to us. And we, talk, we look at all these different situations in the Old Testament. We think of covenant. God made a covenant with Noah. He said he will never destroy the earth again with water. And he put that bow in the sky. What a beautiful illustration. Way back. In the ancient world, God placed his bow in the sky. And we still see that today. And then we move on through time and we see again how quickly the human race rebelled against God. And instead of going and subduing the earth and, and uh, they gathered themselves together and they started building that tower in rebellion again to God. And God had to scatter them and profound their language. And then God again chooses a man, Abraham this time. He calls him out. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he called him out of his country, and Abraham obeyed. And he went. And we see now God working through Abraham and his descendants. Some highlights in Abraham's life, I think, of, again, the covenant that God made with Abraham. Everlasting covenant. It's, uh, one thing I thought of is Melchizedek meeting Abraham, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. And we see how Christ, in Hebrews, tells us he was made after the uh, priesthood of Melchizedek. And he blessed Abraham. And Abraham gave him tithe of all that he had. We begin thinking about God revealing himself to his people all the way down through the ages. And the men that came there, Abraham's visitors. It almost seems to me that one of those men was the incarnate Christ. Because it says the Lord was speaking to him. You see the destruction of Sodom there. And again, Abraham's as a mediator between, between God and his wrath and the sin of Sodom. 
And we know the story goes on. And the Israelites ended up in Egypt. And you know, think of a, thinking of Advent, we think of a lot of hope, of joy, of love, and of peace. And oftentimes before God does something miraculous, things also become very dark. Just before. And we see this 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Bondage. And then Moses, again, is called of God. And first God reveals himself in that burning bush. He comes down and catches Moses' attention there. And he says, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. And the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And he was calling Moses. And he goes into Egypt. And we see Pharaoh resisting God, rebelling against God. He was almost playing a contest with God. We see plague after plague, and Pharaoh hardening his heart. But finally, he lets them go. And we see this glorious deliverance from bondage. All these four ty- these shadows, these four and these uh, parallels, God preparing His people. For his great, for his, for revealing himself, and then we see how God led the children of Israel by pillar of fire, and we have that great, that great deliverance in the Red Sea, the drowning of Pharaoh's army, and then God brings them to Mount Sinai, and He establishes His covenant with His people there, the giving of the law. At Mount Sinai, we know that story is tremendous. God came down on the mount and he spoke to the people and the mountain shook and the smoke went up and the people trembled and were afraid. And God spoke audibly right out of the mount to the people. And they cried to Moses and said, no, 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 don't let God do this anymore. You go speak to God and you come back and speak to us. And we see how I think Moses went up to the mountain at least twice. Of course, the first time he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights and the people fell into sin. How quickly we rebel against God. How quickly. Moses coming down out of the mountain, he threw those tables of stone and broke them. And God called him back up again, and he rewrote the law, the giving of the law, and the tabernacle. Gave instructions to build the tabernacle. We see all those instructions accomplished, and then God coming down and filling it. The glory of the Lord coming down in his tabernacle. Again, God's desire to again have fellowship. To restore that relationship, God with men. But there was such a problem. Man was sinful. 
And God can't tolerate sin. So he instructed Moses and his people to build this tent, this tabernacle, this place of worship. And we see God, the glory of the Lord coming down and filling that holy of holies. There's, a, there's an amazing prophecy in Deuteronomy 18. You can turn there. Of Christ. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 18. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. It says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren, like unto me. Moses speaking here. And unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. You see the mercy of God here? The people were afraid. They didn't want God coming down and speaking to them like they did in Sinai. It was too fearful, too great, too terrible. And then God said this. He said, you know what? I heard what you said. And you have well spoken because, he says... Verse 15, he will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brother like unto me. And again in verse 18, I will put my words in his mouth. A prophet from among their brethren. I can't think of a greater way that Jesus, for God revealed himself to us than how he did it. He actually sent his son, grew up right among us, was one of us. And we go on through history there and we see the conquest of Joshua. Moses passes on the conquest of Joshua in the land of Canaan. And on on to the reign of David. The kind of the climax of the old covenant, the reign of David and Solomon. And their conquest of the land. You know, to, in one in a degree there, David and David accomplished what God always wanted his people to do, to fill the earth and subdue it. We see David doing at least that in part. The conquest of Joshua as well. And then we have Solomon building that temple. And if you want to read again another glorious experience 
in the Old Testament was the dedication of the temple. When the glory of the Lord came down, I think there's about a whole chapter there talking of Solomon's prayer, beautiful prayer to God. And the glory of the Lord came down and filled that place. Again, these are all parallels. In preparation, in God preparing his people for his coming. Then we have the time of the prophets. You know, the conquest of David. And the glory of his kingdom didn't last long. It's kind of a sad story. Judah and Israel were both taken captive. The temple was destroyed not long after, a few hundred years. First Israel and then Judah. Israel by Assyria, of course, and Judah by Babylon. God's judgment on his people for turning their backs on him, for their idolatry. But God always makes a way through, and he sent them the prophets. And some of the prophets have the most powerful prophecies. Kinley read one this morning in Isaiah, some of those beautiful words in Scripture. For unto us a child is born. Unto us. A son is given 700 years before it ever took place. But the prophets of God were sent among his people to warn them, to bring them back. Many of those prophets suffered tremendously by their own people. Because they rejected their message. And then we have the end of the Old Testament with the prophet Malachi. And of course there was a returning back there, Ezra and Nehemiah there, and rebuilding the temple, the second temple, under uh, King, Darius, King Darius, I think it was, in Persia, had uh, conquered Babylon, and then he left. Some of the people go back and rebuild the temple. Then you have the end of the prophets with Malachi. And you have 400 years of silence from God. Again, thinking about oftentimes before God reveals himself in a great way, the darkness is greatest. We see 400 years of silence, and there was a lot happening. Silence from God, but yet a lot of things happening in and around Israel. Dark days. I don't think we imagine how dark the days were when Christ appeared. We have Alexander the Great and his conquest happening over that time. We have kings, you know, there was one king especially that came in and just polluted the temple. 
This was here just the, the few hundred years before Christ appeared. And the Jews suffered tremendous persecution. And a lot of them died in this time. You have the, the, Maccabee, the Maccabean revolt. Dark days. And you hear the cry of at least a portion of God's people for Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's one of my favorite songs, favorite Christmas songs. Also really touched by a song this morning of uh, how, how Judah lay in darkness, building darkness. These were the days after 400 years that God again made a move and he kept his covenant. In spite of a rebellious and stiff-necked people all through the ages, just rebelling against God time and time again, God still kept his promise and his covenant. He always does. And it began with Zacharias in the temple. Bringing us now to the incarnation of Christ. When God, when the angel appeared to Zacharias, Zacharias was just there doing his priestly, filling his priestly office, and the angel appeared. And we know the story there, how that he said that they will have a son, and he's going to be great, and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And he was struck dumb for his unbelief until John was born. So we see this spark again. God always brings hope. This spark of light. After 400 years of silence and quietness from God, boom, light appears. And then the Mary appears to Mary. I mean the angel, I'm sorry. The angel appears to Mary as well. Just a few months after that. Speaks to, the angels speak to Joseph in dream. Mary goes down to Elizabeth in Judea. And those salutations, take the time to read them. They're amazing. Mary and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Ghost. When Mary met, met Elizabeth, she says the babe in her womb jumped. You see the spark of light, joy, hope. And there, 
expressions of praise and admiration there. We don't have time to read that. But take the time to read those. And the story goes on. And we see the birth of Christ coming in Bethlehem and the announcement of his birth. The shepherds watching their flocks by night, all of a sudden the angel of the Lord appeared unto them and shone a great light before them and said, Behold, I bring you good great tidings of great or good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto you and to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the star of the east that the magi, the wise men saw. Again, God again revealing himself. He's always true to his covenant. They saw that star in the east. I don't know what that was. I wonder what it was. Some kind of heavenly body that they recognized. And God placed it there. And they said, that's something extraordinary. Some of the greatest men on earth, maybe possibly the greatest men on earth, God revealed himself to. That star of the east. He revealed himself to the most humble and also to the greatest. We see the, spe the spectrum of his revelation is for all of us. And I read that, that song this morning about the wise man unheeding following the star. Their pursuit of that star was all it cared about. Good lesson for us. And even these heathen kings, per se, came and worshipped Jesus. They found him there, and they fell down, worshipped him. The glory of the Lord. Maybe it's a type of what's to come, I'm not sure. You see those heathen, the greatest men on earth, bowing down before the king of kings, lord of lords. Maybe they went on, I like to think they went on and followed Jesus. But it could be a picture of what is yet to come. When all kings and all people and all kingdoms will bow to our great king. And you know the story of Simeon and Anna in the temple. Again, glorious experience. When they, took, uh, when they took Jesus to the temple, Simeon came there and he blessed the Lord. He was an old man. And he got to see the Messiah before his, before his death. He recognized him again. God reveals himself. 
to those who are faithful. You know, when you think of Joseph and Mary and Zacharias and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna, there was at least a few faithful in Israel. And God revealed himself to the faithful. And they blessed the Lord. Read those stories. Read what they said. We don't have time to go through it all. But Simeon and Anna, their testimony when they saw the babe. God's revelation to his people. God for Christ fulfilling the office of prophet, priest, and king, all three. Prophet, priest, king were all fulfilled perfectly with Christ. And we see the difference that Jesus makes. He makes all the difference. He's the center of all history, the center of all creation. He's the center. He's what everything revolves around. Most people don't realize that, but that's actually true. And the difference Jesus makes both in the world and in our hearts, both in the world around us and inside of each of our hearts. The light goes on. And the world has hope. And we can all, those of us who know Christ, know the spark that turns on when we turn our lives onto him by his spirit. The light goes on in our heart. Peter talks about the day dawning in our heart. That's what he's talking about. I think it was Kinley that mentions this morning how Christ's kingdom is continually expanding and yet down to this day. The light gets lighter. Even as the darkness gets darker, the light also gets brighter. Just depend on which kingdom you're in, that's all. If you're in the kingdom of this world, the darkness is getting darker. If you're in the kingdom of light, the light's getting brighter. And you know, John and Jesus grew up. And it began by John's preaching in the wilderness. He came out in a great light. He prepared the way of the Lord. And the people came out to see him. And we know the story of Jesus' baptism there, how he came out. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the glory of the Lord, the Spirit of God coming down on Jesus in the form of a dove. And you heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God revealing himself to his people. Amazing revelation. Amazing. And we see a few, uh, just, uh, just a few things of Jesus' ministry. Just a few highlights. Think of the Mount of Transfiguration there with James and John, Peter, James, and John. 
and Elijah and Moses come and talk with Jesus. And Peter there, he said, we should build a tabernacle for all three. And they heard the voice of God again in that experience. They heard the voice of God. And again, God saying, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him, hear him. And again, Jesus descent to the temple on that weight just before his death, riding on a donkey, and all the people praising, the children throwing the palm branches down, praising God. And again, a voice from heaven. And Jesus specifically said at that time, he said, you know, that voice didn't come for me, but it came for you. They heard that voice confirming Jesus as his son and as the Messiah, as the Christ, the anointed one, the most rejected him. And then we have, you know, of course, his death and his resurrection. And Jesus going on. Again, thinking again for just a moment as Jesus being that second Adam, like Romans and Corinthians, thinking of Romans 5. Romans 5 would probably be more of the Jesus being that second as, as in he conquered the power of sin. As by one man sin entered into the world, so by one man life, righteousness has entered into the world. So we get, we get these parallels between Adam and Jesus. And here in, Rome, in, there in Romans 5, Paul's especially, especially pressing in the point how that through Christ, now we have power over sin. He has loosed the chains and the dominion of death and of sin. Just like by Adam's sin, by the disobedience of one, sin entered upon every man. So by the obedience of one, everybody receives, everybody who believes him receives life makes these parallels, powerful parallels between Adam and Christ. Adam unto disobedience and death and Jesus unto life and righteousness. So the power of sin is broken in Christ. The reign of death and his dominion has been broken. Jesus in his resurrection demonstrated that the power over death and the power over sin And again, in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about it in that glorious resurrection chapter. How that in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. So there's something about the, the dominion that God gave man in the beginning. That again, that dominion had to be won back by man. And Christ did that. That dominion was given to man. 
and man gave it over to the evil one. That dominion was replaced and given over to a thief. And now by man again, that dominion had to be bought back and regained. And that's exactly what Christ did. He broke those bonds and those chains of sin and death. He's the second Adam. We see the parallels between temptation, even in Christ. Right after his baptism, he was taken into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. You could put that parallel right back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve fell, but Jesus held. He didn't give in to that contest. And he won that victory for us by his death and his resurrection. And we see, again, God's mercy and God's love and grace in the way he revealed himself to us. He, he walked the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. So that there was no doubt. There was full proof I think in Acts it says there's many infallible proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. The apostles saw him. He ate with them before he ascended. And he ascended into heaven 40 days later again in the sight of the apostles. And the angels came and they said, take comfort. Because in the same way that you've seen him go, he will also return. He's gone. And his kingdom continues. And I think of the comfort of John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those four, three, four chapters there before Jesus' death. How he comforted his disciples. He says, let not your heart be troubled. But if you believe in God, believe also in me. I go and prepare a place for you, and that where I am, you may also be. You see, God's desire to restore that relationship that was broken. That where I am, you may be also. Emmanuel, God with us. And then, of course, it doesn't stop there. The ascension of Christ, and ten days later, you have Pentecost. And again, God, not letting his people comfortless, but you see the power of the Spirit of God coming down, and the people were filled with the Holy Ghost. And that spark, that power of God now wasn't just walking around in the form of Jesus, but it was right inside every one of his believers. That's why Jesus said, you can do a lot greater things now after I leave. It's expedient for me to go. And again, Jesus, or Christ, desires always to fill the earth and subdue it. And then we see the conquest of his church, per se. Think of the parallels between the early church and the ministry of Paul and the apostles and the conquest of Joshua and David. And we see the power of God going forth and Paul taking that powerful message 
to the most powerful places, the biggest cities there in his time, Ephesus, Corinth. He went right into those hubs, those powerful places. And he started the church there, the conquest of the kingdom of God continued on all the way into Rome. And it's continuing on today. God's desire is still to subdue the earth and fill it with his life and his light. The battle has been won. The devil is the defend, the devil and his dominion is already defeated. And that church age reaches all the way down to us today. You see the edificacy of the Spirit of God. 2,000 years since the Spirit of God came, it's still alive and well today, and it's still transforming and changing lives today. And it's still conquering the world today. In spite of the increase of darkness as well. still happening. And I just like that, that 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 challenge with us here in closing is that where do we fit into this conquest of the kingdom of heaven? This dominion has been gained back. This dominion has been won back for us. The prince of this world and his kingdom are defeated through Christ. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. And I'd like to remind us of the event yet to come. When, the, when Christ will again appear, this time very different way than he came the first time, with all power and glory. And he's going to come quickly and the trump's going to sound and all men are going to see him. And I think every person's going to know exactly who he is. They're not even going to have to wonder. They're just going to know it. I think that's in the near future. And that's the joy and the hope that we have. Until then, let's be faithful servants in that conquest and the reign and dominion of his kingdom over earth and find our place in that. The souls of men, fishers of men, that's how we, fight for Christ's kingdom. That's how he wants to. You know, in the Lord's prayer, he said, let thy kingdom come in heaven. Thy will be done in heaven, in earth, as it is in heaven. You know, see, God, it's oftentimes not so much as God and his kingdom being out there, but it's his kingdom coming here. He wants to bring his kingdom. He wants to turn this earth, even though we know it's not going to happen. We know that. But he wants us to do all we can to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Sometimes I think it's not so much about going to heaven, it is about heaven coming down here. That's what God desires, his church to be a, a reflection of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And I don't even think the future life is going to be so much a separation. It's not going to be so much heaven and earth, but the two are going to be combined. It's going to be Emmanuel. It's going to be God with us. It's going to be the new Jerusalem coming down. And the earth 
filled with the glory of God. It's going to be a new earth, but they're going to be one and the same. The city and the earth are going to be, I'd say, closely attached. I'd like to close with the verses in Revelation. Beautiful words in Revelation 21. Speaking a little bit about that. Again, thinking about not so much the separation between earth and heaven. You know, I think back in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, the separation between earth and heaven was there, yes, but not near to the degree it is today. It was God came down and talked with Adam and Eve, and that's that communion. It was it was close together. Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Beautiful words. So whether it's either us going to heaven or heaven coming down to us, probably doesn't make that much of a difference. Jesus did say he will return. He's going to come back. And here we see New Jerusalem coming up out of heaven and down. But it also talks about us going up. I don't know if it makes too much of a difference. We just know the, the tabernacle of God will be with men. And, you know, the tabernacle of God, that's already happening today. If we're being faithful stewards of the kingdom of God, that's already happening in the church today, is where the kingdom of God's already coming down among men. Are we being those faithful soldiers, those faithful people, those faithful, that faithful community, that faithful church, and representing the kingdom of God to this world. And we're joining the kingdom of God in that conquest. It's going to be cultivated eventually. I think probably quicker than what we might think. It's going to be cultivated. And all the powers of evil and death and hell are all going to be gone. The old earth and heaven are going to be gone. It's already happened. The victory is already won. It just hasn't panned out yet or it hasn't and it's because of the long suffering Jesus uh, God, uh, Peter says because of the long suffering of God is why he prolongs it he wants to bring as many and many as he can and when I think about the disciples or the apostles they thought the kingdom of God was coming probably in their lifetime they would have never imagined 2,000 years down the road the kingdom of God is still on the earth and there's still souls coming to the kingdom of heaven and think of the mass people that have come to Christ since the apostles. You know, God gives so much more than what we can ask or think. His kingdom is so great. It's such a blessing, such a, such a glorious hope and joy to be part of that kingdom. That's my challenge. I'd like to leave each one of you. That's all I have.